0: This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Scott Reed. Thanks for being on the show, Scott. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Yeah, pleasure to have you on the show. We cannot have enough legal advice, that's for sure, and looking forward to getting into this. But Scott is known as America's legal coach. He's the official Zig Ziglar small business lawyer, a Ziglar Legacy Certified Trainer, and he has over 20 years of experience as an attorney. For the last two decades, Scott has been helping business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, and service providers to shatterproof their businesses and succeed in the professional world. He's a firm believer that seeking legal advice doesn't have to be intimidating or expensive if we treat lawyers like primary care doctors instead of ER doctors. Well, I like that a lot. Through his subscription-based access Plan legal service. Scott is making great strides in shifting that perspective. Scott, thank you again for your time and expertise sharing with listeners today and give them a little more about just who you are, maybe where you're located and what your focus is right now. Sure, Whitney. Again, thanks for
1: having me. I'm located in Denton, Texas. So we're just 35 miles north up I 35 from Dallas. I've lived in that town for, wow, about 20 years. I've been married uh, 28 years to my beautiful wife, Bibi, have two boys. Jake, who's 20, and Luke's 17, they keep me pretty busy. I also double as a varsity soccer coach for my 17-year-old's school. So stay pretty busy. But my primary focus, other than family, is to help entrepreneurs, especially investors, put deals together and make sure that they're what I call shatterproof.
0: Nice. So, you know, I'd love to dig into that and and you help us to just think about how to structure our business. So it's shatterproof, you know, maybe some common things, you know, people are coming to you, I know, often and like you said, like the like you're the ER doctor and we don't want to do that. Right. You know, we don't want to be in those shoes. So help us to think differently, even about our relationship. With an attorney like yourself, and, and how you know you can be that doctor we're going to on a, you know on regular visits as opposed to when it's too late, most likely.
1: Sure. In my book, five strategies to shatterproof a business. The first strategy is that you need to assemble what I call a team of key advisors. There's really four. You now people could argue with me and a couple more, but there's four. I think you really need to have. The first one is you need to have a an accountant. I prefer a CPA. There's some good accountants that aren't CPAs that really understand your business. So for today that really understands doing real estate syndication deals, the structure, the taxation, the cash flow, all of that so that you they can help you be successful. They can help you set up your books, they can set up your accounting software, they can teach you to use it. These are things that most people don't really know how to do when they start an investing company or or career, right? They're shifting out of probably a 9 to 5 business or a work job, a W-2 job, and now this is totally new. So if you had that one key advisor, it can make a really big difference.
0: What are some of the uncommon problems, but problems that we need to be aware of that we're, you know, we're, we're not going to be a shatterproof? Yeah. So the second strategy would be this, the structure.
1: And you've know, talked about this before, that you need to make sure you have the right legal entity in place. So talking about syndication, uh, you're, you're, we're talking about limited liability companies, limited partnerships. And now what's really popular would be the series LLC. And you can use any of those entities. They will all work. You need to understand them. So you need someone that can teach you what they are, how they work and what the advantages and disadvantages to those different entities would be for your particular investment or business. And then you need to have it set up right in this world where we can go online and find all these different portals that you can do your own legal documents, which is great there's some danger there, right? Danger, Will Robinson, because you may not know how to answer the questions they're asking you to fill out these online forms. And if you answer it incorrectly or just different than they expect, you may get something in the form that shouldn't be there. So I, you should have that relationship. You should go get those done by someone that knows what they're doing. because there's some steps you really need to follow to have a real legitimate entity because the purpose of it is to have separation from our personal lives, from our business or investment life. We don't want anything at work or in investments to come home and hurt us. So by setting up the right entity the right way, then we ensure that that doesn't happen. But if you skip some steps, you could leave yourself exposed. So it's really important to make sure that you do that right. You know, you need to file the certificate of formation. It needs to have the right language in it. Then you need to have an operating or company agreement for your LLC. And then you need to ratify that by either having a meeting with yourself or the other investors doing a unanimous written consent to that so that there's proof that you actually did form this LLC. And then you really should do annual minutes of kind of what happened with your company over that year and approve everything that was done by the members. It's not required by most states, but it goes a long way if you end up in court and someone's trying to pierce your corporate veil and go after your personal assets.
0: So you mentioned the team of key advisors, the structure, and there's more, right? Sure. The third one would be to document everything.
1: You know, so if you're in real estate, you cannot do a real estate deal on a handshake. It's not enforceable. The statute of frauds, which is a statute that says which deals have to be in writing, says the real estate deal has to be in writing to be enforceable. So you can't lock down a piece of land by shaking the farmer's hand. You've got to actually have a written agreement. Another place that a legal advisor comes into play, but if you're business savvy, you can put together an enforceable agreement to lock someone in fairly simply. That's not that hard. You just need, there's a few things you want to make sure that you've got all the dates in it for when someone has to perform. You have all the money right in it. You have the property description, correct in a real estate contract. There's some things that you can kind of do to lock one, to lock it down. But that's why I see people not doing in this is the... They'll meet with someone, they may shake hands, I think they've got a deal, and they don't take that extra step fast enough to lock that into a contract before they start trying to ground up investors. And then someone else comes in with a better offer and you've lost the deal. There are five. All right. The fourth one would be to make sure that you protect your intellectual property. So if you're creating a brand like you've created for yourself with uh, Bridge Life, then you want to trademark that name. You have an automatic trademark. It's called common law trademark. When you use something to stand for your business and consider it your mark, that is yours. You could stop someone else from using it, but without registering it, you couldn't recoup damages. Say people started investing with them because they thought it was you. They made a bunch of money off that. That's money you should have made because that was your brand that you built. If you register it, you can recoup that plus the attorney's fees. The other thing that you want to make sure you're doing is if you're create if you creating content like your podcast, then you want to make sure that you're copywriting those. You want to use copyright notices on your videos, you want to use them on your websites. And then if you have something that's unique, maybe you've created a real estate course or some kind of video, video course, then you want to register that with the Copyright Office. I think it's like $75 to register with the Copyright Office to actually have that nailed down that this is mine. You can't take my content and reuse it without paying me. And so that's really the fourth step is to make sure you're protecting your intellectual property. The fifth strategy is also about intellectual property, but it's the flip side. Don't use someone else's. A lot of entrepreneurs are throwing up websites for their new companies, right? They've had the Gerber entrepreneurial seizure. And so they go online and there's some really easy ways to create websites being fast. You don't have to have any talent anymore to do a quick website well, where do you get images? You go to Google and they're all over the place. They must be free. They're on Google. Well, they're not. Most of those have copyrights on them and aren't royalty free. And what happens is you put them up on your website and then there's people that have software that's trolling the web, looking for their clients, copyrighted images, and they can identify them. And then they start sending, they'll send you a demand letter and you're on the hook for some really big statutory penalties. And there's really not a, there's no oops defense. It's not. It doesn't matter that you didn't know. You're going to pay them. It's just a matter of how little you can get by with. Sometimes you can negotiate that down. But if not, they're going to sue you in federal court and you're going to lose. Even if your webmaster uses the images that aren't aren't right, you're still going to be on the hook for it, that they won't. So you want to make sure that anyone's intellectual property that you're using, you have the permission to use it. And you want to make sure when you do brand name your investment company, or if you're selling real estate, your real estate sales company, that it is something that someone else hasn't already used. Because you wouldn't want to build your brand on someone else's and find out years later that you've infringed on their mark and then have to start all over and possibly pay them some damages.
0: Our guest is Ben Risser. Thanks for being on the show, Ben. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Can you describe a potential bottleneck, you know, that has happened or happened recently or just something that, you know, the listener can also expect that to come as well as they grow. Uh, what, what's a bottleneck that you all have had and had to work through?
2: Cash management. When you're managing a single property, the number of transactions that have to be taken care of We use QuickBooks online right now. And I'm just making sure that your team members are getting paid when they're expecting to get paid and investors get paid when they're expecting to get paid and all the vendors and lenders and complying with loan covenants and things like that, like all that has to do with having a system in place where money flows freely and on time. At a certain scale, you can't do it all yourself. And so we're in the process of onboarding a vendor who's going to basically take the cash management and financial reporting aspects off of my plate. And I'm very eager for that. <laughs> I
0: bet. So you've been using QuickBooks and you've been doing that yourself up to this point?
2: Yes, I've tried to use some online tools to do electronic payments, but seemingly there's a lot of challenges that happen when you have partnership company structures and you have companies paying companies that have interest in each other. A lot of these software companies have hard stops on those types of transactions because that's considered self-funding, but that's the way a partnership works. One entity pays the partners. And I don't understand why... The industry hasn't adjusted to support partnerships, but that's been one challenge of of streamlining those transactions is finding a way to have our entity structure, have the money flow through it and do it electronically so I don't have to write checks and lick stamps and envelopes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, so it's nice to hear you talk about that, though, and just the frustration, this bottleneck of this cash management and how you all are moving forward in that and going to improve. You know, you got to jump over that hurdle to hire this new person, find them and train them, make sure all that's functioning and that process and system is working accurately. But once you do that, then all of a sudden, you're going to have probably a better system, a more accurate system, and more time for you to focus on other things.
2: Oh, absolutely. The cash management and bookkeeping and all that is not my highest and best use. And we've gotten to the point now where it's time to find somebody who is gifted in that and specializes in that. And that's what we've done. And and we're excited to move forward there.
0: Nice. So are there any other bottlenecks that you can share about?
2: Yeah. um, When you get to a certain number of assets on the construction management side, I would say it it can be challenging to handle things in Excel. Because one of the challenges is when you're dealing with a bajillion invoices a month, how do you know that every invoice is valid? How do you know that you didn't already get billed for those set of appliances? And having a system in place that can catch those types of things does impact your bottom line because, you know, why buy two sets of appliance for the same unit when you should have only bought one? If that happens too many times or if a vendor either maliciously or not maliciously bills you twice for labor and materials, that will impact your CapEx budget and ultimately you won't be able to achieve all the value add that you underwrote to achieve. And so I built a monstrous Excel tool that catches all that and, and turned out I was the only person that could use it. And that's really not scalable because I'm the single point failure there. And so we're going through the challenge of trying to procure a software tool that works for the team. It can't just work for me. It has to work for the team, the people doing the work. And so we're in that process and just being able to handle all of the paperwork and then the lender requirements for draws and keeping track of all the dollars and the integrity of the invoicing and the bills we're paying. So that's definitely something that will show up once you reach a certain scale.
0: Yeah, and it's hard, too, when you're at that scale. There's so many invoices, right? There's so many things happening. It's hard for you to track, well, did I pay for this already or not? And even a vendor, they're invoicing so many people as well. It could be a legitimate mistake yeah. that you know they invoice twice. And then if you're trying to stay on top of paying those bills and you pay it before you realize that you already paid it
2: right? Yeah. And then once the money's out the door, good luck getting it back because they've already spent it.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's been spent for a long time. So let's dive into maybe another scalable system or process that you've had to implement as you all have scaled. There's numerous people listening I know that have, maybe they've got their first deal or two deals and they're getting to that two or 300 units, maybe up to the four to 500 units or more. And they're looking to Create these scalable systems and processes as well. So, what's another system or process that has helped you all, or that you all have implemented because of the of the growth? Well,
2: there's two areas on the asset management side. There's having a system and process in place where you are able to collect the key performance indicators of each of the assets and measure you know do basically a performative actuals analysis so that you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And if you're trying to do all that in Excel, what you end up with is a double entry going on between Excel and your bookkeeping system. So we were living with the pain of double entry for a while. We're pushing very hard to get into a system where it's only single entry. So all the financials and all that, it's all in the same tool that you're entering the data once And that you've got your performance in that tool and you've got your actuals in that tool and the tool generates the analysis that you're looking for. And you don't have to enter that stuff into your accounting system and then also enter it into a spreadsheet or download from your accounting system into a spreadsheet and then do all this data processing, which opens you up for error. Unless you're a boy genius computer engineer and you can write macros that do everything for you, a lot of this is a little bit manual in Excel. So we're trying the best we can to get out of Excel tools, though you have to be careful that you don't get out of an Excel tool into a tool that's more complicated in Excel and it's taking up more of your team's time than it was in Excel. So like procuring tools is critical, I think, to long-term success. It's critical to your team members not killing you or quitting. So I would say having a solid system in place to do performative actuals prior to acquiring your first asset is good. So don't just focus on the tool that allows you to get into the asset. Before you get in the asset, think about what kind of tool am I going to use to do the budget actuals and actually do a proof of concept before you throw yourself into that.